0: Rhino, he's not even an issue. I don't sweat Rhino. Rhino's got him set up on the rope right here. Stop messing around. Uh, Rhino, very good. Um, Welcome back to to another edition of the Rhino Wrestling Review. I'm your your host, Dan Rhino. And we are continuing our journey through the history of women's wrestling, a journey that we started way back in Women's History Month and a journey that I thought was only going to be a couple episodes. And I quickly learned that I had... Signed up for much more than I had bargained for, but I'm happy to be on this journey here because I've really enjoyed the new things that I've learned as I've done my research and as I've dug down deep and drilled down into some of these topics that we've talked about on these previous episodes. It really kind of filled in a lot of the the blank spaces in what I thought I knew about the history of women's wrestling and has really kind of opened my eyes to the contributions and the accolades of a lot of these ladies and and some of these ladies who have kind of been forgotten throughout the years that we've been able to highlight on past episodes. So I think that has been a positive thing about this journey as well. I want to thank everybody for downloading, listening and subscribing. I've been loving the feedback that I've been getting and I have been enjoying bringing this to you. It's been a big task. It's it's a lot of work to to read these books and and read these articles and not just it's not just getting on Wikipedia and copying and pasting things that I read on there. I'm having to go through a lot of avenues that I had previously not really gone uh, too deep into in order to find some of this information, in order to authenticate some of this information before I just come on the radio and sound like an idiot like I normally do. <laughs> but I thank everybody for the feedback that you've been giving me. The subscriber numbers and the download numbers continue to go up and you don't know how, uh, Humbling that is for me, uh, somebody who just does this as a, a passion project and and just does this for for the love of of pro wrestling and the love of women's wrestling in particular. The series that we've been going through, and this is part six. And on the last episode, we talked about some of the prominent ladies in the Attitude Era, an era that's finally remembered as many fans' favorite time in pro wrestling history, but. For women's wrestling, it's not so fondly remembered as a great time. There were some standouts in that Attitude Era. We talked about Trish Stratus. We talked about China, And both of those ladies are Hall of Famers. And we talked about Lita, another Hall of Famer. Uh, We talked about Ivory, somebody who actually uh, crossed over from GLOW, to the Attitude Era and had success in both venues. But there was a lot of misogynist things that happened in the Attitude Era. There was a lot of belittling things for the women that happened in the Attitude Era. But like I said, we still had generational level talents like China and Trish Stratus that influenced so many future women stars. And even influence entire women's divisions of companies like the one we're going to talk about today. And not to mention that some of the names of the Attitude Era actually came over to this company that we're going to talk about today and had arguably stronger runs than they did in the WWE. So in case you haven't figured it out, today we're going to be focusing on and talking all about the knockouts of TNA AKA impact wrestling and despite the horrible company name of TNA and and how it relates to to women and how it how, and how it could kind of have a, a neg- negative connotation that that goes with with women's wrestling coming into a company called TNA it's almost like you're starting uh, at the starting line three feet back further than everybody else that's in the race but TNA was a good thing for women's wrestling at the time that it came around because despite the horrible company name WWE buying WCW WWE buying ECW there were not a ton of options for female wrestlers in the business and even the ones that were available within the underneath the WWE umbrella those opportunities a lot of times were just as valets those opportunities a lot of times were just as uh sex objects the opportunities a lot of those times were not as legitimate in-ring competitors so it's a it's an amazing thing for tna to come in around into the business around this time and shine a spotlight on these awesome in in in-ring women's talents but Things didn't start out great for the TNA Women's Division. Let's not bury the lead here. Let's not hide the fact that things were not all uh, sunshines and rainbows from day one. TNA ran its first show back when they were just a weekly pay-per-view company and they were still affiliated with the NWA. They ran their first show back in 2002. And on the second show that they ran... There was a lingerie battle royal to crown Miss TNA. So, on the second episode of TNA, we're doing the same misogynistic things that WWE was doing in the Attitude Era. So, not a great start. And that first Miss TNA was Taylor Vaughn, who went on to kind of do a lot of the same silly stuff. She was having intergender comedy matches over that Miss TNA crown. So she's having matches with men over that Miss TNA crown. And Vince Russo was booking at this time. So that all kind of jives very well. And because Vince Russo, Russo was booking, there were, of course, a lot of intentional wardrobe malfunctions and lots of other degrading things that just treated the female performers like jokes. And it was during this time that uh, a lady that you might remember from the previous episode when we were talking about Wendy Richter and the women in the WWF at the time, Leilani Kai was the NWA Women's Champion. And Leilani Kai came from that old school of women wanting to get in the ring and have knockdown dragout fights and put on a good show. So Leilani Kai was very uncomfortable with how the women were presented in TNA and didn't want to defend her title there because of, like I said, the Vince Russo presentation of the women that he had carried over from the Attitude Era. So that title was was taken away from Leilani Kai. But over a five-year period, I guess from 2002 to 2007, TNA had slowly grown their women's roster with legitimate talents from both the WWF as well as the independent circuit. And this is how the Knockouts division was born. And on October 14th, 2007, there was a 10-woman gauntlet match to crown the first TNA Knockouts champion. And that first champion is the first woman that we're going to highlight today, and that's Gail Kim. And Gail Kim started training with Ron Hutchinson. We mentioned him on the Trish Stratus Attitude Era episodes, the same guy that trained Trish Stratus. And Gail Kim got started with Ron Hutchinson in about 2000. And Ron Hutchinson said that Gail was among the fastest students, male or female, to graduate from his school. And Gail Kim started traveling all over Canada for various indie promotions. And for a while, she was even wrestling under a mask. And it was around this time that Gail started sending in tapes to WWE. And in 2002, just actually a little less than two years after she had started her training, Gail Kim signed a developmental deal with WWE. And just a year after signing that developmental deal in 2003, in her WWE television debut, Gail Kim won a battle royal to win the vacant WWF women's title. But unfortunately, Gail had a very short title reign. Then she missed a bunch of time with a broken collarbone. And then was told in 2004 that WWE was taking the women's division in a new direction. Which we later know would become the Divas Era. Which we're going to talk just briefly about. But that's going to be its own episode in the future. So when the Divas Era started coming around, in-ring competitors and talent who was of course beautiful but was more there to be an in-ring wrestler and performer like Gail Kim were kind of pushed to the to the back burner. So Gail leaves WWE in 2004 and works all over the world before eventually signing with TNA in 2005. And she signed with TNA even though the company didn't have a credible women's division at the time, because as I mentioned earlier, Gail wasn't crowned the first TNA Knockouts Champion until two years later in two thousand seven. So Gail in two thousand five was used kind of that in in that initial role that Lita was that Lita filled in WWF. She was a manager. She was a valet. Occasionally, she'd get involved and hit a her in, her and off the top rope, uh, off on one of the men or something like that. But like I said, a couple years later, things changed on October 14, 2007. Gail Kim won a 10-woman gauntlet match to become the first TNA Knockouts champion. And I might have said Battle Royal earlier. If I said Battle Royal, I apologize. It was a 10-woman gauntlet match that Gail Kim won to become the first TNA Knockouts champion. And this led to her feud that would become one of the most positively reflected upon feuds in women's wrestling history. And that being someone that we're going to talk about in a second. And the second woman that we're going to highlight today. And that, be, that being uh, Gail Kim's feud versus Awesome Kong. And Kim and Kong even main evented TNA Impact in early 2008, which was, I believe, the first time that the women had main evented a TNA show. And on that show, Awesome Kong would beat Gail Kim for the TNA Knockouts title. But Gail still felt like she had unfinished business in the WWE slash WWF. And she left TNA later in 2008 for another run up north. But by this time, again, which we'll talk about on a future episode, the WWE Women's Division had been rebranded as the Divas Division. The in-ring product was not a priority for the women. The women were really not much of a priority at all for the company... ...other than going out there and having three-minute matches and looking pretty. And Gail Kim goes back to WWE and she's doing bikini matches... ...and feuding with the Bellas over who's going to be Daniel Bryan's girlfriend... And just fighting for just random snippets of TV time. And Gail Kim had proven in TNA that she was one of the best in-ring female workers in the business at that point. But that meant nothing to WWE in the Divas era. So in 2011, Gail Kim heads back to the where she had done her best work, that being TNA. And Gail picked up right where she'd left off and became the top star in the Knockouts division. She, she became a TNA Knockouts Tag Champ. She regained the Knockouts Singles title at the same time. She was the first ever concurrent Tag t- Champ and Knockouts Singles Champ in TNA history. And Gail finished number one in the PWI Wrestling f- uh, Female 50 in 2012. Uh, here in 2021, as we record this, the PWI does a female 100 but it started off as a female 50 in 2012 just because there were not that many great female workers in the world at that point and that's kind of a a microcosm of this journey that we're taking through the history of women's wrestling as we talk about as I record this in 2021 just nine years before they had a hard time PWI had a hard time finding 50 women to be able to highlight, whereas the men's side has the PWI 500 every year. But Gail finished number one in the PWI female 50 in 2012. She would end up being a seven-time knockouts champion, including winning the title in what we thought was her final match in 2016 at the time. And that same year, in 2016, Gail became the first female inductee into the TNA Hall of Fame. But she would return in 2019 for one final, 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 we think, final match against Tessa Blanchard. Like I said, in 2019. And if you want to see some fantastic women's wrestling, some of my favorite ladies' matches of all time took place between Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell in TNA. Particularly, I suggest the one at Slammiversary 2013, but also look up Gale's matches against our next featured knockout that we're going to talk about on this episode, and that being the 5'11", 272-pound Kia Stevens, better known as Awesome Kong. And Kong grew up in Carson, California, grew up watching the Attitude Era of WWF, and wanted to be a wrestler herself. And so Kia Stevens started training to wrestle in 2002. And she quickly got noticed by Japanese scouts who were obsessed with her size, obsessed with her look. And Kia moved to Japan and began training at the All Japan Women's Dojo. And as a tribute to Japanese female wrestling legend Aja Kong, who we saw in some of the early... AEW events and for a lot of people that was their first exposure to Aja Kong Kia Stevens was given the name Amazing Kong And that would later become the name that we know her better by That being changed to Awesome Kong But Kong had runs in All Japan And then in back here in the States she had runs in Shimmer and Ring of Honor But her most memorable, memorable run started in October 2007 When she debuted as Awesome Kong in TNA. And Kong came in and immediately had this uncontrollable chemistry with Gail Kim. And she challenged for Gail Kim's title and won the Knockouts title just four months after her debut. And this started a period of several months where Awesome Kong just destroyed the Knockouts division. So Kong does an open challenge. And uh, she does this angle where she is offering anybody in the any fan in the crowd 25 grand if they could beat her. And Taylor Wilde accepted the challenge. Taylor Wilde, somebody who's uh, still active in, in Impact in, in 2021, Taylor Wilde accepted the challenge, beat Kong in her debut, and a feud started between the two of them. And while those matches weren't bad at all they really paled in comparison to the 2008 series of matches that Kong had with Gail Kim and Gail Kim would go on to say in interviews that this was just the perfect David and Goliath feud. And these are the matches that Gail Kim feels she is most proud of in her career. And speaking of the PWI female 50, Awesome Kong was named number one. In the PWI Female 50 in 2008. And I think I might have said earlier that Gail Kim was the first... Was number one in the first ever PWI Female 50. But that was... Gail Kim was number one in 2012. Awesome Kong was actually number one in the first ever PWI Female 50 in 2008. So quite an honor for awesome kong she won the knockouts title twice she won the knockouts tag title as well but a lot of people know kong and her tna run best for a backstage incident she had in 2010 and 2010 was when hulk hogan and eric bischoff joined the company and Brought in all their buddies to get jobs, which explains why the Nasty Boys were still on TV in 2010. But probably the most egregious hire was Hulk's friend Bubba the Love Sponge, the Tampa radio personality who became a backstage interviewer for TNA. And Bubba had made his fame on being a a shock jock and saying controversial things, and he made inappropriate comments on Twitter about the victims of the horrible earthquake in Haiti that year. And Kong was not having any of it. Uh, Kong had raised thousands of dollars for earthquake relief in Haiti. And when she found out about Bubba's comment, she punched Bubba straight in the face. And this actually made Kong very popular backstage. But... When an incident like this happens, there is uncontrollable drama backstage. And Kong refused to do a TNA UK tour as a result. And... Because of that, she was released. So this led to a brief odd run in WWE, and in April 2011, WWE TV started airing these pre-tapes of a shadowy figure tearing up, tearing apart Barbie dolls. And a few weeks later, Kong appeared on WWE TV using the name Karma. And she would spend the next several weeks taking out the Barbie dolls of the WWE because this was the Divas era and everybody had to look like a Barbie doll. Uh, Didn't matter if you could wrestle or not. Again, we'll talk about this in in a future episode. But this is when things took a strange turn. Kong's coming in every week. She's attacking uh, these female wrestlers. And Karma interrupted a women's tag team match on an episode of wwe tv and instead of attacking her opponents she starts crying in the ring and not long after that karma announced that she was pregnant and was off wwe tv until january of 2012 when she made an appearance uh in a surprise return at the royal rumble And this was, like I said, January 2012. This was before we had a a yearly Women's Royal Rumble. And this was in St. Louis, and I was actually in the house for this. And this was one of the few highlights from an otherwise underwhelming Royal Rumble match where we got surprises like Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and we got Michael Cole as an entrant. We had Jerry the King Lawler as an entrant. We didn't have a lot of cool surprises, which is one of the, the better, more fun things about the Royal Rumble. But Karma being in there was a really cool surprise, and she even had a, a couple of eliminations. I think she might have. I think she eliminated Michael Cole, or even just scared him into jumping over the top rope himself, and uh, eliminated Huniko, maybe uh, one of the the master luchadors in the in the uh, WWE at the time. Unfortunately, Karma's run in WWE that year was was not a very positive one. The, the pregnancy that had put her out of action the year before, uh, Karma had ended up losing the baby that she was carrying. And she's never really talked about it. And she's done a lot of shoot interviews. She's done a lot of reflection back on her career. But this is a, a, something that she never really has gone into detail about. But the vibe that we get is that she was just never felt right emotionally after that tragic incident. And Kong was released from WWE in July of 2012, just six months after making that really cool return at the Royal Rumble. But Kong spends the next few years on the independent circuit, but then she goes back to TNA in 2015 to work a program with Jessica Havoc. Kong took over leadership of the Dollhouse faction from Taryn Terrell, but... Unfortunately, there was more backstage drama in this TNA run. This time, it was not with Bubba the Love, Love Sponge. This time, it, there was an altercation with Rebby Hardy, where Kong allegedly uh, allegedly got physical with Rebby Hardy backstage. And unlike the Bubba the Love Sponge incident that actually made her a lot of friends backstage, this one made her a lot of enemies. And Kong was released from TNA in early 2016. But wrestling did not end on a bad note for kong we had some cool things that happened here at toward the end of her career she would go on which we we briefly talked about on the previous episode where we talked about glow the gorgeous ladies of wrestling kong went on to star in the amazing netflix series glow based on the gorgeous ladies of wrestling program like i said that we talked about on a previous episode and Kong does does such an amazing job on the show. She's emotional, she's funny, she really makes you connect with her character. But she will probably be remembered most for her, for lack of a better word, awesome run with Gail Kim, which Dave Meltzer called, quote, the best women's program in years, and TNA got lots of mileage out of it they had well-worked wrestling matches at a standard well above what WWE women were doing at the time, end quote. Awesome Kong officially announced her retirement after one final appearance at another show I was at here in St. Louis, a lot of big things happened for Kong, that being at the NWA Empower All Women's Pay-Per-View in 2021, and while her greatest rival Gail Kim was cutting a promo in the ring, Gail was attacked by another old foe with Taryn Terrell's group trying to steal Gail's spotlight. And as Gail was outnumbered, that's when Awesome Kong made a surprise appearance, came out to actually save Gail Kim. And they had a touching moment and a big hug. And Kong gets on the mic and said something to the effect that she hadn't left her house for anybody in the last year and a half because of the pandemic. But if she was gonna leave her house for anybody, it was gonna be Gail Kim and if she was going to leave her house for one final spot in the ring it was going to be at this event and it was it was a really really cool moment if you haven't seen it get on fight tv you can order the the nwa empower show uh which we'll talk about in a future episode when we talk about the current state of women's wrestling but It was because of Kong and Gale that the Knockouts division became one of the must-see parts of TNA programming and one of the highest-rated parts of the show. There was even talk for a while of the Knockouts getting their own show on another night because of how popular their segments were. And some of the big names during this run were Angelina Love and Velvet Sky. They made up the beautiful people. Uh, Roxy Laveau Tara also known as uh, Victoria in the WWE Tracy Brooks ODB Madison rain Hamada Sarita uh, Daphne who recently passed away had a, a really good run post WCW in TNA just an awesome array of women's wrestling talent who all brought something different to the to the program they weren't it wasn't like the WWE where it seemed like these women, these Barbie dolls were pumped out in a factory. They all brought a different look. They all brought a different feel. They all brought a different in-ring style. They all brought a different presentation. And that's why it got over so so well with the fans during this time. And we can't discount the agents who worked with the knockouts during this time, particularly Scott DeMore and Dutch Mantell, and especially an old school guy like Dutch. It took a while for the ladies to win over the management, but especially with an old school guy like Dutch. But the ladies just kept working harder and harder, and the in-ring product got better and better. And they had the, the in-ring talent, but also the, the sex appeal to keep the fans' interest. And one final lady that I want to shine a spotlight on is someone who could was one of those kind of jack-of-all-trades who could kind of do everything. She had the look, she had the charisma, she had the in-ring ability. And after an excellent run in WWE, which we briefly touched on uh, when we talked about the Attitude Era and, and Trish Stratus in particular, this lady brought a lot of name value to TNA, and that's Mickey James. And in an interview with our friends over at Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Mickey said that She grew up a wrestling fan by watching it with her dad and doing elbow drops off the couch on her dad and her brother. So she grows up a wrestling fan. Mickey graduates high school and ends up going to wrestling school in the D.C. area near where she lived. And shortly thereafter, she takes the name Alexis Laree, L-A-R-E-E, and starts working uh, indies as a valet. And Mickey's working these indies in the Mid-Atlantic area and doing seminars to learn her trade even better, including going to Dory Funk, Dory Funk Jr.'s Funking Conservatory in, in Florida, and you might have heard the, of the Funking Dojo, which was a kind of an offshoot of this conservatory that was specifically for WWE talent, and they would have, you know, these week to two week like seminars where the wrestlers would go and they would kind of get a crash course in a lot of the, the uh, aspects of pro wrestling that they might not have been familiar with. Uh, Kurt Angle famously went to the Funkin' Dojo and, and just kind of knocked everybody's socks off with how quickly he picked up everything. But, but Mickey went to the Funkin' Conservatory in Florida and she eventually does some spots with Ring of Honor as Alexis and TNA again as Alexis Laree in in 2002 she hadn't adopted the the Mickey James in ring moniker yet but she signs a WWE developmental deal in 2003 and Mickey spends a couple of years in OVW which was in Louisville it was developmental for WWE at the time before getting called up in October of 2005 and this kicks off her amazing feud with Trish Stratus which Again, we talked about briefly in the in a previous episode, but in this storyline, Mickey shows up as a Trish super fan who gradually becomes more and more obsessed with Trish and until Mickey eventually sets her eyes on Trish's world title. And at WrestleMania 22, Mickey defeated Trish in one of the best women's matches in WrestleMania history. Uh, Mickey had an excellent five-year run in WWE. She was a five-time women's champion. She was a uh, Divas champ as well. And she was named number one in the 2009 PWI Female 50 and was voted Woman of the Year by PWI readers in both 2009 and 2011. But things weren't all great for Mickey's run in WWE. The big black eye that a lot of you may remember was her feud with Michelle McCool and Layla. And McCool and Layla were lay cool at the time and they began a feud with Mickey and the whole, the whole plot behind this feud was that they were making fun of Mickey's weight and calling her piggy James instead of Mickey James. And man, this is just this body shaming storyline was just one of the red flags that proved that there was a big transition transition happening in the mindset of Vince McMahon and the vision of what Vince McMahon wanted the women's division to be. This was the storyline that really kind of completed that crossing of the bridge into the divas era in WWE. And it kind of, you know, the writing was on the wall that in April, 2010, Mickey was surprisingly released from, from WWE and, um, you know, she, I, I think she kind of saw it coming because of how she was being treated in this storyline and how she was being belittled in this storyline. And it was just re- it was a really unfortunate end to a pretty amazing five-year run that Mickey had with the main roster of the company. But this allowed Mickey to come to TNA in September of, of 2010. And this is where Mickey would end up winning the TNA Knockouts title three times, making her the only woman at the time to hold the WWE Women's title, the WWE Divas title, and the TNA Knockouts title. Which is a pretty cool accomplishment. And the move to TNA was probably the best thing that could have happened to Mickey because she got to continue to focus on what she did best. And that was in-ring wrestling. She could get away from the Piggy James stuff. She could lend her star power to TNA and have matches with a, let's be honest, a better crop of wrestlers than WWE had at the time. And it was during her TNA run that she met her future husband, Nick Aldis, so that had to have been the icing on the cake for her run in TNA and you know, kind of a blessing in disguise in getting released from, from WWE. And her run in TNA was really highlighted by her feuds with Tara and Madison Rain. And if you want a couple of matches from this era to watch, I will suggest the last woman standing match against Madison Rain at Against All Odds 2011. And I will suggest the match against Tara at Final Resolution 2012. But Mickey wasn't done with WWE. She made a surprise return to the company by coming to NXT in late 2016 to challenge the undefeated Asuka for the NXT women's title. And this was at a time when Asuka was seemingly running out of challengers. And a lot of people thought that this was just a a legends match or a gimmick to get through another takeover show until a legitimate contender could be uh, created for Asuka. But Mickey, in, in a losing effort at this, this show i believe this was takeover toronto mickey had arguably the best match of her career and it was one of the higher Meltzer star rated matches of mickey's, mickey's mickey's career and this earned mickey a wwe contract and another run and from 2016 all the way to 2021 mickey turned back the clock and it's had some of the Highest rated matches of her incredible career. So, if you have not seen the, the match against Asuka at TakeOver Toronto, uh, check out that match. Check out Mickey James against Becky Lynch at Elimination Chamber 2017. That's another one of my faves. And Mickey had a nice second run with WWE. And even though Mickey had an unceremonious release from WWE during the pandemic, she landed on her feet like she always does. Mickey was the executive producer for the NWA Empower All Women's Pay-Per-View that we talked about earlier. She also made her return to the ring the next night in St. Louis at the NWA 73rd Anniversary Show, defeating Kylie Ray. And then there was a post-match attack by Impact Champion Deonna Purrazzo. And that sets up a match between the two, and as... as Of recording this, the match is uh, coming up in a couple weeks at Bound for Glory. But Mickey is back in TNA slash Impact, and she's doing things with the champ in 2021. And it's one of the more compelling storylines on the show right now. So I know TNA is often the butt of a lot of jokes in the world of pro wrestling, and many of those jokes were told by me. But the knockouts of TNA have given us over the years some of the best matches and some of the best feuds and and some of the best wrestlers in women's wrestling history. And TNA really filled the void in pro wrestling for quality women's wrestling, particularly particularly during the polarizing divas era in WWE. There was really a need... There was really a a void to fill in professional wrestling, and uh, some company other than WWE needed to step up and provide women's wrestling in in a competitive way. Or there was a chance that women's wrestling was just going to turn into divas for forever, and we might not have ever gotten if if TNA hadn't stepped in and prolonged. Uh, the possibility of, of of women as quality in-ring competitors. We n- may have never gotten to the point where we've got women main-eventing WrestleManias like we've seen and we're going to talk about on future episodes. But that is discussion is going to have to wait for another episode like the discussion about the Divas era. And that's going to end this episode of the Rhino Wrestling Review. Again, thank you for your kind words. Thank you for the emails. rhinowrestlingreview at gmail.com. Uh, if you have a question, if you have a comment, I will uh, definitely respond to you or respond to all the emails. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Dan Rhino. You can follow the show on Twitter at Rhino underscore wrestling. So give us both a follow. A lot of times it's the same stuff, but we really appreciate uh, you pumping our numbers up a little bit more. Uh, you can find this show on any podcast platform. So whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you can't find it, you're not trying very hard. Uh, And thank you for spreading the word. Thank you for telling. uh, I noticed the Facebook numbers are are clicking up as well. Uh, We don't do a whole lot on Facebook other than post about new shows, but we appreciate the love. And like I said, it's just very humbling to see the the numbers tick up each time. The subscribers tick up uh, little by little. And I know we go a long time in between episodes just because of the sheer volume of, of work that goes and research that goes into each episode. But if you want to hear me uh, each week, if you just don't get enough of me, uh, you can hear me on STF Underground with uh, my buddy Doug E. Wrestling. He does a great show over there and I get to uh, go along for the ride with him. Uh, STF Underground is on tuesdays every week now as we record this uh here in october of 2021 uh we are uh we drop every tuesday on all podcast platforms so uh, check out doug's show which i'm on most weeks stf underground uh, on all your podcast platforms and leave doug a five-star review as well on whatever platform you're listening on i'm sure he would enjoy it Uh, he is at doug e wrestling on twitter so send our buddy Doug a follow as well. But that's going to do it for this episode. Again, thanks for downloading, listening, and subscribing. We will be back whenever we get around to it with episode seven, and we're going to be talking about the very polarizing divas era of WWE on the next episode of the Rhino Wrestling Review. Until then, be good to each other, wear your mask, and don't kick out of each other's finishers. See ya! it's an R to the Y, yes. N into the o uh-huh. on a block like a tortoise with a slow, okay. the slow on a block like a baker because I'm picking up my dough and when I'm in the booth like I'm cooking up a